you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29, and if you would permit me for just a few minutes this morning, I have a message for you today. Uh, it matters not if you have been attending Faith Assembly for a number of years or if you are new to the fellowship, maybe today's even your first Sunday, then you are here in time for a great message today because I want to tell you this morning about the church I see. The church I see. Uh, you say, Pastor, what do you mean? We're all here. We see the church. We understand that. No, I'm, I'm talking about as we have sought the Lord, as we have prayed and, and sought the face of God for the life of this church, there is, and there usually is, once you seek the Lord, there's a vision given of things that, that the Lord would unfold before us. And I want to share with you today about the church I see. And if, if there's one thing that I've learned in some 16 or so years of pastoral ministry, it's this, is that I can never overstate the church I see. I can never say too many times what it is that the Lord has laid on my heart, where it is that God is guiding, where it is that the Lord is leading. There will never be a time that I'm going to look back and say, wow, I've told too many people what my intentions are. There's never going to be a time that I'm going to look around and say, you know what, I think I have just too clearly communicated that to too many people, you know, about the vision of the work that's before us. And, um, you know, this is not just something that experience has taught, be it pastoring churches or even in personal life. I'll, I'll promise you this, this, what I'm sharing with you today is even relevant for your personal life. Because how many of you ever set out on a goal, you've had a vision, you've had a dream of something that is to be, but somewhere along the way before you get there, you lose sight of that vision and then you just kind of begin to pull back from the pursuit and uh, you, you never quite reach that destination. And today I realize that if you and I as a body of believers, if we don't discuss regularly the destination, then we're going to faint in the journey. We're going to fall short. We're never going to reach that place. And, and today, I just want to share this with you. This is not just something that we see in experience in our natural lives. This is also something that we see very clearly in the Bible. Seldom has there ever been a time that God began to deal and God began to move in the lives of his people and lead them to places that somewhere along the way, those who were in transition uh, didn't meet up with something that, that caused a little bit of uh, a lack of clarity along the way. You know, I'm absolutely certain you can spiritualize it any way you want to. You can, you can, can I tell you something? The people in the Bible put their robe on one arm at a time, just like you and I do. Amen. They, they were somehow or another, we have the luxury of being able to see the, the end and the beginning, or at least read the beginning, knowing the end. But as these people were going through their journey, they were just like you and I. They were taking it one step at a time. They were taking it a day at a time, just as we are. And I promise you, you know, as a great man of God as he was, I promise you there was a time in Joseph's life when he didn't understand that his journey to the palace was going to take him through the prison. He didn't, he didn't understand that. He didn't see that coming. I'm sure it threw him for a loop. It would have me, would it not you? Amen. You, you just know your palace bound and, and all of a sudden you, you find yourself there in a prison. We look at the children of Israel as they are leaving from the, uh, from the bondage of Egypt. 
They were excited about leaving Egypt. They were excited about their newfound liberty. They were excited about the promised land that God had set before them. But as they trek and as they journey along their way, when once they met some transitional hardships, they begin to guess and second guess and they lost a clarity. And more than once, they begin to question the intent of God. They begin to question the integrity of Moses. As a matter of fact, at one point, they eventually came to a place and said, hey, you know what? It would have just been better off for us. Surely God has led us out here in the desert, in the wilderness to die. It would have been better for us if we just stayed in Egypt to begin with. But how many of you know that God has a land prepared for us that is a big land, it's a large land, that it flows with milk and honey, and He has purposed good things for you and I. So, today as we talk about this, we could go on and on and on with different illustrations and different characters from the Word to undergird and underscore this point, but for for the sake of time today, I just want to take you to one more example before we move on with our message today. And that one more example is actually found in the life and in the ministry of Jesus himself. Jesus came to this earth. We, we understand that, that he was very God of gods and he came and made himself of, in the form of a man and took on the form of a servant and he served here on this earth. And with that came the announcement of purpose. Everybody tried to have a different purpose for Jesus, but Jesus had a purpose and he knew his purpose. And that purpose, he clearly stated often, was to do and to be about the work of his father. And the work of his father for Jesus in and through his earthly ministry was the establishing of the kingdom of heaven. He came to establish the kingdom of heaven. And he began to talk about the establishment of this kingdom. And I want to show you three different responses that people had to that vision casting. When Jesus Christ himself came and said, I'm here to establish the kingdom of heaven. There were there are three different responses. Well, there's probably more responses we could mine out of this. But today I want to focus on three different responses. The first response that we see in that is that if you if you were to study history and you really mine into the story of the life and the work of Jesus, you would find that based on the social and governmental structure of that day, that there were people who, when Jesus came and said, I'm here to establish the kingdom of God, they said, yes, praise God, amen. Because you've got to understand at this point in history, the Jewish people are living under the oppression of the Roman government. They, they've been overrun, they've been overtaken, they've been brought under captivity and subjectivity to the Roman Empire, and they're looking for their Messiah to come and deliver them from this oppression. And they said, yes, amen, he's finally here. And when Jesus said that I've come to establish the kingdom, they thought that he had come to establish a political kingdom here on this earth. They thought he was going to overthrow the Roman government and establish and, and reestablish the, the Davidic kingdom here in the earth. But that was not what he was here to do. That was simply something that was assumed. And can I tell you something today, church? Assumptions are a terrible thing. Say amen. 
Assumptions are a terrible thing. Do you know why assumptions are so terrible? If we were all glass half full kind of people, maybe assumptions wouldn't be so bad. But by and large, we're not glass half full kind of people. We're glass half empty folks. We're pessimistic. We're cynical. And when we assume things, very seldom do we ever assume the best case scenario. Whenever you assume it, don't you assume the worst? I mean, just naturally, when you're looking on at situations and you're and you're just guessing what's coming next and what's don't you just say, man, this is awful. This is terrible. God, I can't believe this is happening. Oh, Lord, why are you letting this happen? It's our nature. We assume the worst so many times. And honestly, with that, our assumptions are so, so richly flavored with our own desires and preferences that it kind of sways what we assume. If, if the situation tends to be favoring what we favor, what we desire, then we assume positively. If the situation seems like it's veering away from it, then we just go all chicken little and the sky's falling and, you know, it just, it couldn't get any worse. I want to tell you today that assumptions are a terrible thing. And you know, there were some people in Jesus' ministry, under Jesus' ministry, that they assumed certain things about His ministry. And when they found out that that was not indeed what was going to be happening, they left. They left him. They, they said, no, this is, not, this is not what we signed up for. We didn't sign up for any heavenly kingdom. We, we wanted a kingdom here and now. And then the second response I want to show you today is this, that when Jesus began to specifically expound upon how he was going to go about establishing this kingdom, They thought he was going to establish the kingdom like he did at the temple when he was overturning the money changers' tables, right? That he was just going to come in with a whip and he was going to come in with a sword and he was going to come in and set the wrong things right. But then there came a day when Jesus pulled his closest followers aside and said, let me tell you something, guys, this is how I'm getting ready to establish the kingdom of God here in the hearts of man. And that second response is this, that there were those who in that moment were so uncomfortable with what Jesus said. When Jesus came announcing that, there were some people that that it so discomforted. And I'm going to tell you today, as God's plan for our lives, as God's plan for us as a people unfolds before us, there may be some times that it challenges places in our lives. It stretches us beyond our comfort zones. It pulls us out of the boundaries that we've established and calls us out onto the water. It makes us, as a matter of fact, they got so uncomfortable with that when Jesus began to tell them about it, that Peter actually took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 16, and it says this beginning in verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. It was an uncomfortable place. And, you know, we find Jesus himself in the garden later praying and he's praying himself saying, Lord, Father, if there's any other way, 
Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And aren't you so glad that Jesus himself was able to minister through the discomfort and bring about redemption and healing and hope for your heart and mine today? Amen. Thank you, sister, for being excited about the work of Calvary. Praise God. I'm sure, as I said, there are more responses, but this third and final response here I want to share with you this morning is this. I'd like I'd like to focus on, of course, that ultimately they trusted the vision that Jesus set before them. And as we begin to turn from the Gospels and we begin to read the accounts in the book of Acts, the one thing that we can see there is the fact that it bears out that these men that followed Jesus so closely, even though they may have assumed things about what his ministry role was, and maybe though it made them uncomfortable along the way, when they finally saw that Jesus' earthly ministry wasn't an end in itself, but it was a means to a greater end, They begin to catch a hold of that vision. And the book of Acts reveals that those men were all in regarding that vision that Jesus had given them. It was a vision of whosoever. And as the pieces began to come together, that they needed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To go into all the world and make disciples of all men. To go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Then church today, I submit to you that that is exactly what these men spent the rest of their lives doing until their dying day they heralded the gospel message because Jesus had been diligent in sharing with them the vision and the purpose of his ministry I want to share with you today the vision for faith assembly because today I realize that vision can't be overstated Vision can't be overstated. I want to share this today with you with clarity because I want, no, wait a minute, I need each of you to be all in. We need your ministry gift exercised in the life of this church. We need your never-ceasing prayer support. We need a unified focus so that there can be a moving of the Holy Spirit every time that we gathered in this place. And as we studied a few weeks back from the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2, wherein the Lord commanded the prophet to write a vision, write the vision and make it plain so that the people who heralded it could declare it with clarity and with authority. Church, today I'm speaking to you so that when somebody, your friend, your neighbor, whoever it is that you're talking to about Christ, you're talking to them about coming to church and they say to you, what is your church all about? I want you to be able to say with clarity and confidence. This is the will of God. This is the purpose. And I want to tell you today, this isn't about growing a church body. This is about being in one accord. It's about not being distracted or being divided. This is about being excited about what the Lord is calling us to do and the church that he's calling us to be. And people of God, we need to get excited about the call of God. Jeremiah 29, 11, you know it well. How many of you have it on your refrigerator? Come on, be honest. It's on your Rolodex at work. 
It's stuck on the side of your monitor screen at work. You see it every day because there's a resounding promise there. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. Come on, so how many of you got that tacked up somewhere as a constant reminder? Liars, I've been to your places of business. I know it's all over. See, here's the thing. We often quote that. And I preach it regularly and I say, God has a plan for your life. How many of you ever heard me say, God has a plan for your life? As, as long as you've got breath in your body, God has a plan for your life. It doesn't matter what season you're in in life. There's a reason for the season. If God's got you here, he's got a purpose for you. It doesn't matter from the youngest in the room to the oldest. If you're whatever season you're in, God's got a reason for your season. And you are here for such a time as this. And God does have a plan for you. And God does have a purpose for you. Look at, look at your neighbor right now. You're, you're starting to drift off. Where's my dark gun? Let me. Listen. Look at your neighbor right now and say, God has a purpose for me. God has a purpose for me. God has a purpose for you. But I want to tell you something today, church. God has a purpose for us. When we come together in this place, when we, when we, when we assemble together and we worship the Lord together, this is, I want to tell you something today. So many times in church we get it mixed up because we feel like Sunday morning service is the end all. Sunday morning service needs to be the launch pad, not the end all. That's why when things start changing, we start getting upset. We, you know, we just we just looking at things and going, what in the world's going on? Because this is like some kind of end in and of itself. But it's not. This is the beginning. This is the celebration of what has been done and the preparation for things that are to be. And I want to tell you something. I preach it regularly. We talk about it often that God has a purpose for your life and God has a purpose for this church. But I want to tell you today, the time has come to cease to declare the plan of the Lord with vague ambiguity and excuse ourselves from activity. The time has come that we must declare what we've seen in the spirit and what the Lord has spoken, not only over our lives, but over this church and get after it. See, I know a lot of people, and they're searching for the will of God. They, I know God's got a plan. I know God's got a plan. I know God's got a plan. And years go by, and decades go by, and, and decades, and more decades, and finally a lifetime has gone by, and we're living there with regret because we never figured out what it was because we were expecting like some kind of something to happen in the cosmos that just launched us forward into something. But sometimes you've got to take a step of faith. And you've got to give pursuit to the call and the purpose that God has for your life. You see, I realize today that vision can't be overexpressed because vision is life. Vision is life. Proverbs 29, I told you to turn there a little bit ago and I preached an entire message beforehand, but here we go. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 reads this way. From the King James Version, it simply says, where there is no vision... The people perish. Maybe your translation reads a little differently this morning. Maybe it says something like where there is no revelation, the people scatter. The people lessen, the people relent, the people let up. 
where there is no clear revelation of the word or the will of God, where it's not understood what the Lord requires of us. When that happens, when we're living in that state, when we're dwelling in that place, people perish. Other words that are used to describe that word for perish is to cast off restraint, to loosen, to dismiss, to avoid. Let me tell you probably one of the greatest commentaries I've ever read on this, and I couldn't find it this morning or in preparation for this morning, or I would have surely brought it here with me today, but it's simply this. One commentator suggests that in the original language, that that word for perish, if we did a further etymological study of that word, would eventually lead us to a Hebrew root word that would carry with it the word pictures of a stagnant mud hole. In other words, where there is no vision, the people become stagnant. Now, I grew up out in the country. I grew up near the Chowan River. And sometimes one of my greatest highlights, we didn't ever go anywhere when I was a kid. But one of the greatest highlights for me was whenever we would take a day and we'd go down to the river. I love being at the river. I love being in the water. And we would go down there that river. And I'm going to tell you something. I was highly disappointed because every once in a while... We would come down that winding hill leading down to the riverbank. And when we would break around that curve, we'd look out over that water. And instead of it being the color it normally was, it was a glistening green. And we'd drive down and we'd make a circle and we'd go back up and we'd go back home. But if you were to walk along the bank of that river when it's good and green you would see there along the shoreline and different places, the fish would be congregated there and gasping for air. Because where there is stagnancy, there is no life. Where things are stagnant, there is no life. Where there's no movement, where there's no motion, there's no life. And I hate to bore you to death with details today. But not only did I grow up out in the middle of nowhere, but I spent a good amount of time in a tobacco field. Somebody say, oh, me, oh, me is the proper response for that. And the rains would come and those rows would hold that water. And they'd hold that water for days and days and days and it wouldn't drain off. And finally, that old mud hole would turn green. And you'd still have to walk through that row. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you know what happened when you walk through that old stagnant mud? It stunk. It stunk. So that's what I want to share with you today, church, is why that vision is so important, why that we always understand and that we are intimately acquainted with and familiar with the vision and the purpose that God sets before us. And the reason for that is when we cease to be about the father's business, we cease to be dynamic. 
We cease to be in motion. There ceases to be a flow. And when there ceases to be a flow, when we get our eyes turned away from the outside where God has commanded us to go, we start turning our eyes to the inside, uh, to those who are around us, and we start assessing things that we need not assess. And then we have nothing but a stagnant, lifeless, stinking mess. Now, see, because confusion is the tool of the adversary to make it seem as somehow our objectives are different and thereby bring about division and discord and destroy the work of the kingdom. You might ask me today and say, Pastor, why are we taking so much time this morning to speak about the vision of the church? And very simply, because there needs to be an agreement in the spirit as to the why we gather together and do what we do. And if it's not clearly stated, people begin to assume the motives as to why they see what they see. And the only way to ensure against the darkness of confusion is to shed the light of clarity. Or in other words, as it says in Habakkuk, write the vision and make it plain. So I want to tell you today about the church I see. Are you ready? That was my introduction. When I came to this church to serve as lead pastor 18 months ago, I sat in a number of meetings. I sat in search committee meetings. I sat in board meetings. I even went to a town hall meeting and entertained all manner of questions. And from that, you have a very wise and able and capable board of directors here. And when I came into office, they presented me with a very specific list of objectives and said, Pastor, these are the things that we're looking for our new pastor to accomplish here in the life of this body. And from that very first day, I began to pray and seek God for ways to satisfy these objectives and, and for ways that he would move us and lead us and guide us so that we could see him fulfill this vision in the, in the life of this church. And part of that work was to craft a visionary statement and to write the vision and make it plain. And today I want to share with you the church that I see. You see, first of all, we're a church with a mission. Our, our mission is not simply to come here and put on a good production for Sunday morning. Our mission is not simply to, to just haggle and wrangle whoever we can and entice people into this church. But our mission here at Faith Assembly is to develop faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We're not here to try to make churchgoers. We're not here to try to make church members. We're here to try to develop faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And there is a difference. We want to develop faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And our mission is in direct response to the biblical directive of Jesus himself when he states in Matthew 28, 18. And he said, and and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
I want to tell you something today, church. The church I see will not be characterized by its allegiance to tradition, nor will it be characterized by its contemporary feel, but it will be characterized by its ability to be an agency to spread the light of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Just over the last week, we've invested a good bit into sprucing up our platform area, partly because the carpet was worn. Sometimes I get stuck in a rut here where uh, where it was down. But mainly because we're getting ready, we're serious about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You look around in this place this morning and say, oh, my goodness, there's a great big tripod back there with a camera stuck up in the air. What's that all about? I can tell you what that's all about. Back in the earlier parts of this year, one day the ice came and it, 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 it slicked down our campus pretty good. And we said, hey, we're not having service today on campus, but if you would join us online, we're going to be sharing a devotion. So that Sunday morning with a simple iPhone, we sat in my living room and we announced the church and we conducted the business of the church and we shared a word of devotion, a word of encouragement that day. And I'm going to tell you something, church, within two days, that video had been viewed twenty six hundred times. So if you're sitting in a place, yeah, that may be a distraction for you for a moment. But understand, that means that the ministry and God has blessed us so richly here at this church with talented people who can sing, who have the gift and the anointing to praise and worship the Lord together. And we're going to carry that out to the world. We're going to carry that out. It starts off, remember, www. It's, it's the World Wide Web. We're going to put it out there for everybody to see and to be blessed by. And today we're believing that in effort, in, in, in doing so, that on Sunday mornings, you know, the word says that a steward is to be found faithful. That God gives us gifts and God gives us things and we're to steward them. We're to, in other words, we're to get the best out of it we can. And do you know if we're live streaming these videos here, these presentations, these these messages and everything on Sunday morning, do you realize that there's somewhere between the potential of 12 and 13 times as many people as are seated in this room this morning to see those and be ministered to by it? You say well, what they need to do is come to church. And I agree with you. They need to come to church. But whether they will or not is irrelevant. What they need to hear is the gospel. And we'll get it to them by any method we can. You see, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must busy itself about the business of seeking and saving the lost using whatever means necessary. And the vision is this, as we indiscriminately, and I did say indiscriminately, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community, it stands to reason that the church I see will be a multicultural church worshiping the one true God and evangelizing people in our community and abroad. I see, I see a church that is not only multicultural, but a church that is multi-generational as well. You see, I see a church wherein the, the old stand with the young and we sing together and we worship and we sing there is a cloud. I see a church as well where the young stand with the old and together we sing at the cross and all with a voice of unison. We come here for the purpose of lifting Jesus up and making his name great and praising and worshiping and adoring the one to whom the praise and the worship and the glory is due. 
I see together the young and the old, regardless of tradition, regardless of their wardrobe, regardless of their preference, raising their hands together in the sanctuary and lifting their voices in praise and adoration to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Unless you think we follow fads here at faith, let me specify that the church growth gurus and the strategists suggest that you have to narrowly define the people group that you want to bring into your church and then pattern your church to target that narrow demographic. And I want to tell you something today, church, that may be strategic and that may be that may be something that is put on by the wiles and the understanding of men, but it is not biblical. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Black men, white men, yellow men, Asian men, Latino men, Hindu men, Muslim men. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Young men, old men. Everybody coming together and lifting up the name of Jesus. I believe that today, church. I believe that as we are exalted to being a church who is committed to lifting, as we are committed to being a church that is exalting the name of Jesus, then people are going to be drawn to the life of our church, regardless of age, race, color, or creed. Because I believe that the church should look like heaven. Not only do I believe that the church should look like heaven, but I also believe the church should look like the community in which it's situated. Come on, somebody. I don't know if you spend much time surveying your surroundings or not. But Greenville, North Carolina is a very diverse community. Go to Walmart sometime. (laughs) Sit on the bench. And just watch people come and people go. And you're going to see people in burqas. In Muslim garb, you're going to see Hispanic people, black people, white people, rich people, poor people. We do live in a college town, by the way. And them kids need Jesus. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Everybody needs Jesus. We're not trying to push anybody out, but we are trying to make room. You see, this is what I see. And I saw it first in the Word of God. In Revelation chapter 5. In verse 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Church, that's what I see for this body. It's what I see for this body. It's what I see for this, and I believe you see it too. I believe you believe God for it. I'm going to tell you something. I walk around in here and I love every one of you. I love you from the bottom of my heart. But I walk around in here sometimes and I pray. And I seek the Lord. 
And I pray God bless those folks that were here Sunday. And then I walk over to a section of seats. It's completely empty. And I begin to prophesy. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? Because a generation ago, I stand on this platform today on the shoulders of those that have gone before. And a generation ago, God birthed a vision in the heart of a people to come to 5005 Corey Road and build a 1,200-seat sanctuary. And it says in Isaiah that his word won't return to him void. Isn't that right? And I believe as God continues to move, one day you're going to look around and you're going to see the vision that God conceived over a decade and a half ago come into fruition right in front of your eyes. That from the north and the south, the east and the west, they're going to be coming in. And do you know why? Guys, I love you. I love you. You're the most wonderful group of people I've ever worked with in this capacity. But they're not going to come because the worship's great. And I pray and I study and I seek God for a word. But they're not going to come because the preaching's great. And hopefully they won't stay away because it's sorry. <laughs> but they're going to come because of people. You, the body of Christ, has come into this house together with one mind and one accord and allowed the Spirit of God to move on your life and set your heart and your soul on fire and have yourself so indelibly touched by the Spirit of God that when you go out of this place... You're like the prophet Jeremiah. You might be sitting in here now saying, Pastor, when I leave this place, I don't even know what to say. You're going to be like Jeremiah. It's going to be like fire shut up in your bones. And you're not going to be able to keep it to yourself. And you're going to be like the little woman that met Jesus at the well. And he told her about all her sin. You're going to say, I can't explain it to you. You're just going to have to come and see. You're, just, you're going to have to come and see. So we have to be very intentional about ministry. There has to be a method to the madness. There has to be a, a reason to the rhyme. And, and because of our mission and our vision, we work with purpose. There's a purpose for everything that we do, and you can read it on our four-year walls. 
We want to, when we're, when we're developing ministry and strategies and things, we want to connect people. We want to connect people to an active faith in Jesus Christ, and we want to connect people to the body of Christ. Why do we want to connect people to the body of Christ? Because we intend to grow people. And we want to challenge people to grow in the things of the Lord. And we want to challenge people to grow in their faith through discipleship and through service and through fellowship together. And then when that's done, or as that process is going on, we want those people then to go out into all the world and repeat this process with as many people as possible. We want you to fulfill the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. And we want to assist people in living out the Great Commission to go into all the world. Church, I'm your shepherd. I'm your leader. And I love you. And my office door is down this hallway to your left. Third door on the right. And if somewhere along the way you lose sight of the vision. Don't think for one second that I have. And I'll be happy to share it with you. Don't collect your understanding about vision for this body from people who don't even attend this church. Who assume things that are erroneous. The church I see is a victorious church. The The church I see is a dynamic church that operates in the Spirit, that flows in the gifts of the Spirit, that sees souls coming to the altar to be saved, to be set free, to be delivered. Young and old alike coming together in unison. So today... We're going to close. We're going to close in an act of worship. And I want to invite you to stand. And you know what? We live in a world that seems to accentuate differences. But that is not the body of Christ. Our focus is on the thing that makes us one. And brings us together. And that is the finished work of Calvary. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ.